Awesome. Praise the Lord. How are we going? Doing well? Oops. Hallelujah. You're a quiet mob this morning. What about you turn the person next to you and say, Come on, we're alive in Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that um, what is spoken will be taken and imparted into our hearts. Lord, that our minds will be transformed, that we could attain to righteousness and, Lord, to seek you in all that we do. So, Father, this morning, as we delve into these things, we pray your hand upon it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've got to tell you, I, um, God is good, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about that in about three weeks' time. You know, we're in the God Is series. We're looking at who God is, one of his um, many attributes that we find throughout the Bible. And although we're only condensing it into to five weeks, there's so much more that we can share about him. And so we're looking at that this morning, and we started last week with Pastor Steve, in that God is faithful. But you know, we're doing this not so much that we come to know more about God, because that only attains us knowledge. Correct? And when we get to heaven, we don't take a test. We don't sit down and do a multiple choice test and say, what does uh, you know, Genesis 37, 15 say and all this sort of stuff? Because I would totally fail. Okay? But knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. You see, I know about Queen Elizabeth. All right? The monarch of England. But I don't know her personally. And so don't come today thinking that, good, I'm going to learn more knowledge about God because that's not our aim. The aim is that we draw closer to him, that with something that is shared today, maybe something that is said, maybe something we read in Scripture, will click in our mind and draw us closer to our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. And so, when we're talking about what we know of God, we know that that brings us to worship, doesn't it? It brings us to worship, and it's more than just the worship we've just had on a Sunday morning. It's actually a worship of the heart. Because you know you can come to worship on a Sunday morning, and your heart's not in the right place. So it's a total waste of time to be, to be truthful in as far as our intimacy with God. Because God's not looking at your actions. What's he looking at? The attitude of your heart. And that's a real challenge in everything that we do. Because I know and I've seen over my many years, because I'm a people observer, I've seen many Christians doing things, but it's with the wrong heart. So you might as well not do it at all. Okay? You've got to have that heart of attitude that's saying, I'm doing this because I am in a relationship with God. I want to draw closer to Him. 
what, am I, uh, what I'm doing is actually an expression of my intimacy. And so this morning, we want to come and look through the eyes of the New Testament. We're going to refer to some of the Old Testament as well. But we're going to see that Jesus came to reveal God the Father. As someone who wants to know each one of us intimately. He came to set us free, amen. He came to break the power of sin and death. He came to open the way to the Father. How do we approach a holy and fearsome God if we don't know that He is for us? Because the Bible says we approach Him with confidence. We approach Him boldly. We approach Him with a sense of security. Yet if we don't know God and we don't know who we are in Christ, how can we do that in confidence? Because if we do it any other way, you're going, it's done in arrogance actually and in pride. It's that sort of sense of, well, I have every right to be here, God. Well, actually, no, you don't. You have no right. We have no right to stand before a holy, righteous, and perfect God. But Jesus made a way so that we could. And if you don't know that, see, Jesus said no one can come to the Father except through, come on, work with me, except through me, Jesus. And the whole point of us sharing God is, is so that we can have that sense of certainty that we can come and know God more and more. Come on, you ready for this? Jesus teaches us that God is for us, not against us. You know that, don't you? Last week, Pastor Steve shared that God is faithful. And that because of this faithfulness, we are confident assurance that he remains true and will deliver on what he has promised. Who believes God delivers on all his promises? Sweet. Just remember that as we're going along this morning. Because this leaves us in a quieter predicament. This leaves us in a dicey position. If God is faithful, and we know that He is, and we know that His Word never fails, because it doesn't, and we know that God doesn't change His mind, why? Because He's not a man like us. It just leads us to the conclusion that God is just. Amen? God is just. We're going to explore that this morning. God is just. What happened to my tea? (laughs) Unlucky. (laughs) Believe me. God is just, all right? (laughs) And if God is just, then that puts us in a predicament. Let me explain. 
We know God's word is law, right? What he says, it is. It just is. There's no use arguing against it. There's no use trying to justify it or reason through it or around it. It's just these. God's word is law. And we know that God will never contradict his word. You're right. We know that, don't we? He, he never contradicts his word. So let's go to Romans 3 and read this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are like open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. And in Deuteronomy 32.4, He is the rock. His, wo- his works are perfect and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He couple of interesting scriptures there that I want to sort of look at this morning. God is just and he is able to perfectly determine right from wrong. Not by human reasoning because who knows that when we try and determine right or wrong we sometimes end up in the wrong conclusion. But God in his divine knowledge and in his divine wisdom always gets it right. Come on. He always gets it right. So to tie it all together, if God is just, which we've just determined he is, and his laws are perfect, which we know they are, and his wisdom is greater than ours, which is a no-brainer, then it leads us to the following conclusions. God cannot overlook evil and wrongdoing. He cannot turn an eye to those who break his laws. God must administer justice. And this is where we come into a tricky position. Because if all this is true, then God must declare each and every person a sinner And as one who is guilty. He must. He cannot do anything else. If he did anything else, he would be less than perfect. I mean, we know the feeling in our own heart, don't we? That we've seen a, a, a court case come before the courts... You know, people um, accused of hideous crimes or even small crimes. And, we, we, and, and there's this sense of injustice when they're let off without a sentence. 
Who here actually feels, you know, a sense of indignation when that happens? When someone gets off with committing a crime, when someone gets away with doing something that they should have done, I don't know about you, but something rises in me and says, This is not right. The judge is not a just judge. Did he get something in his pocket? Is there an agenda here in the judge's mind? And we have those feelings, don't we? When a criminal is given any less than what they deserve. And yet when it comes to us, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to where we are positioned, all of us have fallen short. Because none of us are perfect. See, we judge ourselves by our standards, our upbringing, our education, our social uh, you know, circles, our cultural expectations. We judge things according to that, but God actually judges everything by His standard. And God's standard is perfection. Which means we're all guilty. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short of God's goodness, His holiness, His perfection, and His righteousness. A just God must pronounce a verdict of guilty. And in Romans we read that the wages of sin is death. The sentence of a guilty verdict in the eyes of God must be death because that is what His Word says. And God never changes His mind. Even today, on this side of the cross, sin must be atoned for by blood, by death. Anything else, anything less, even by the smallest margin, would be an indictment on God. And He would no longer be just, but He would become unjust. And He would not be God Almighty, the one that I know and I love. If God was not just, get this guys, remember this, if God was not just, He could not be trusted. The very fact that God is just gives me security. Let's try and get our head around this, people. The fact that God is just gives us a sense of security. Why? Because we can trust Him. If He was unjust, there's no way we could trust Him because we wouldn't know. How could we enter into His presence? How could we boldly come before His throne not knowing what kind of mood He's in today? You ever been in a relationship like that? Where you just, you know, the person is, you don't know what kind of mood they're going to be in that day and you're sort of thinking, ooh, I better just tread lightly, I better just watch my words. It's not, it's not very secure, is it? But the fact that God is just makes me very secure that I can enter into His presence. 
If God was not just, he would not be impartial. In fact, he would be partial to favoritism. But we know the word of God says that there's no favorites with him. We're all equal in the eyes of God. And we are all dealt with equally. James Packer, in his book, Knowing God, writes this. A God who did not care about the difference between right and wrong and did not judge humans for acting one way or the other would not be an admirable being worthy of our love or trust. The fact that God is just and will just between, judge between right and wrong gives ultimate moral significance to our lives and makes us accountable for our actions. Now there are people in this world who will take a higher view of things in their own mind. They will jump on their soapboxes. They will declare things according to their agenda. And you've all heard it say, if God was a loving God... If God was loving, he would overlook these things. If God was loving, he would understand. It just goes to prove their ignorance. They know nothing of God. Nothing of God. Because God is just. And he must determine everything fairly according to his law. It's getting mighty quiet in here, guys. Ignorance, my friends, is never a satisfactory defense in a court of law. Did you know that? You ever tried that one on a speeding fine? Come on. But, sir, I, officer, I thought it was only 60 case. Uh, I thought it was 80 k's here. Who's got away with that one? No? Excuse me, sir. Is there any reason you're speeding? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucky I got my hearing aids off. Ignorance is never an excuse. Amen. And yet sometimes we think to ourselves, but I didn't know. Well, that's the whole point of following Jesus. It's the whole point of knowing God so that you do come to know. Isaiah 5.16 says this, But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the Holy God will show himself holy by his righteousness. So let's look at this as we delve into this whole fact that God is just. Yes, but God is a God of love. So how can love and justice work together hand in hand? How can the two work together to provide an outcome that is satisfactory and that fulfills all the requirements of the law? Because to let someone off the hook is not acting in love. You got that? You're just setting them up for failure later on. 
you're setting them up for a bigger fall at a later stage. Because, my friends, God disciplines those he loves and he pronounces judgment on those who break the law. And so when it comes to just, God is just, we have to view it all. Everything that we are learning in this series has to be seen through the filter that first and foremost, God is love. God is love. And everything that comes, every action, every law, everything that God has done comes out of love. And even his justice is born out of love. God is love. We see that in 1 John 4, don't we? In verses 8 and 16. God is love. So what God does, says and commands flow from this heart. Out of love comes these things. Value and honor. When we love something or love someone, we're actually valuing them, aren't we? We are honoring them. And so God in loving us is honoring His creation. He's honoring His created masterpieces, you and me. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a created masterpiece. Come on. A created masterpiece. God has knit you together. And he loves you, which means you find honor in God. You find your value in God. Oh man, that's a whole nother sermon. If you're ever feeling in doubt about yourself, if you're ever facing the dark hours, come back to this point. God loves me, therefore I am valued. Free will comes out. Did I go ahead too far? All right. Free will comes out of love. Again, this is a whole, a whole other realm to explore. But the very fact that we have choice to make the right and wrong decision is actually out of a heart of love. You see, God could have controlled everything. God could have just turned us into mindless robots without choice. But the whole purpose of free will, the whole purpose of choice is that we will freely love God because he loved us first. See, if we had to love God, is that love? No. Those marriages don't work, do they? Where you're forced to love someone. Where if you don't love, there are consequences. That's not free will. That's not choice. That's not true love. But this comes. And my friends, what also flows out of love is justice. Justice flows out of love. Because obviously if we have the free will, if we have the ability to choose between right and wrong, then we also must understand that we are accountable for our choices. 
What kind of chaos would this world be in if there was no accountability for choice? It would be chaotic. It would be unlivable. And so all these things, value and honour, free will and justice comes out of a God who is love. We must understand that. The second point is, in understanding God is just, is this. That oftentimes God acts in the context of humanity as a collective group rather than as an individual. As I was thinking about sharing this morning, this thought came to my mind. It's revelation in a sense that as I was reading through some of the Old Testament and looking at some of the, um, the, the, you know, the plagues and uh, the, the wars and all that stuff, and you can think to yourself, man, he's a meanie. But actually, he is passing, he is passing judgment, he is declaring justice in the context of a collective group rather than on an individual. Let me explain. Let's read this. 2 Chronicles 6.26 When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. Let me ask you this. Do you believe every single person in Israel was doing wrong against God? No. And when the nation turned back to God, do you believe every single person all of a sudden had the revelation and the desire to face God? No, there still would have been some scoundrels. Can you see what I'm saying? God passes judgment oftentimes, I'm not saying all the time, but oftentimes the judgment and the sentence that follows is in the context of a collective group. In this case, it was the whole nation of Israel. Because generally, they were all turning against God. There are, diff- there are examples where this is not the case. You look at God's dealing with Abraham when he went to get Lot. God wanted to destroy the whole nation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pleaded and said, if there are ten righteous people, will you still pass judgment? He said, no. If you find ten, I'll leave the place alone. You know what? He couldn't find ten. He finally got down to one. His, his nephew, Lot. So there are instances, I know. You look at Noah. God was passing judgment of all of mankind, but he saved one family. Okay, so there are instances. But generally, when you read through, he deals with nations rather and collective groups of people rather 
than the individual. Matthew 5.45 says this as well. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And often the righteous cry out, Lord, why are the unrighteous getting the same as us? Because if they weren't getting the same as you, then you'd be getting the same as them. (laughs) Can you hear what I'm saying? God, out of love, makes wise decisions and judges rightly. There is this tension that arises. What seems right in the context of the individual person may not be in the best interest of a collective group. And for the sake of a collective group, the individual seems to either get a raw deal or seems to be getting away with blue murder. We need to keep this in mind when we are trying to look into a situation where God has determined one way or another. But it all comes down to trust, doesn't it? It all comes down to trust. Even though our reasoning might not understand it, we know that because God is just, we can trust him. And if we think individually we're getting a bit of a, you know, the pointy end of the stick, we can still trust God that he, in the end he's got our back. Come on, do you trust God this morning? You've got to say it in your heart, guys. You've got to declare it. I trust you, God. I mightn't understand, but I trust you. I don't get it, Lord, but I trust you. I can't see the point of this, but I trust you. Because you are just. You are just. And you will never leave me nor forsake me. Come on. He will never forsake us. He will never forsake us. Oh, this gives us such security. But there are times in our humanity, just like Asaph, when he says, how long will you defend the unjust? Lord, how long are they going to get away with it? David had similar conversations with God. Lord, why are the wicked prospering and the righteous struggling? If we're honest with ourselves, we've asked that question of God, haven't we? Lord, they don't even know you. They snub their nose at you, and yet they seem to prosper. And Lord, the good ones are getting the shonky deal. Am I God that I can explain that? No. But it comes down to trust. Trust, my friends. Trust. So where does this leave us? Because if we left it there, man, we're in deep. We're in deep. We're in deep yogurt. Okay. If that's where it was left... But God is a God of justice and yet he's also a God of mercy. 
Where does it leave us who have fallen short and deserve the guilty verdict, punishable by death? We look to the cross. We look to the cross, my friends, because God cannot let sin go unpunished or he would no longer be a just God. He could not overlook it or brush it under the carpet. The wages of sin is death and the death penalty must be applied. And yet God is a God of mercy. He was the judge and is the judge. And he bangs his gavel on the bench. Guilty. Off to the gallows. You deserve to go. But then he reaches into his heart of mercy. And he steps off and around the bench. And he says, my friend, you can go home. I'm going to take the punishment for you. You see, God provided a way that his law would be satisfied. And that we could be his friends. It's not that we got away with it. Someone paid the price. Come on, you know who it was, don't you? Jesus. Jesus, the righteous judge, says you are guilty of sin, you deserve punishment, you are to die, and yet I will die in your place. You go home. You sin no more. You lead a life that you are meant to live. When we get this in our heart, folks, Who would want to sin against a holy and righteous and a just God? Who would want to spit in his face and say, Thanks, Lord. Can I have the communion stewards hand out the emblems, please? You see, if we left it at that God is just and that's it, We're in deep trouble. But God has shown us mercy. And he has shown us a way out. And my friends, this is the cross. This is the good news. You see, you could look at all of what I've said this morning and go, Oh man, that's not very good. But the good news is that Jesus paid the price. Justice has been satisfied. Come on, hallelujah. And all those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from the gallows. Saved from the fiery pit. Saved from the second death. Without Jesus, you're going to die that second death. If you don't know what the second death is, read the last bit of Revelation. It's a place no one should go. But you need to accept that Jesus has died in your place. You need to accept the fault that lies within you and turn to God and say, Lord, I am sorry. I deserve what you have announced upon my life, pronounced. I deserve it. 
I deserve to die. I deserve hell because I have fallen short of your perfection. And yet I can still confidently come to you because I have accepted the way of the cross. That's my question for you this morning. Have you accepted the way of the cross? Because if you haven't, my friends, then you are a judge guilty and you will face death. It's God's law. He has to do it. To be just, to be loving, he has to do it. I can't preach any other message. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Sin is punishable by death. But it was satisfied by the cross of Jesus. The sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial lamb who came into this world because God is just. But God is merciful as well. So you hold in your hands this morning a representation of what Jesus has done for us. And I want you to search your hearts right now. Have you declared your fault before God? Have you come before God and repented? Have you said to God, I am sorry, Lord, because I have fallen short? You know, sin is not the action of doing wrong. It's actually the position of not meeting God's standard. You know that, don't you? And yet Jesus Jesus has satisfied that. It's what we hold in our hands this morning. And I want us to declare right now, search your hearts. Don't walk away this morning with the doubt in your heart, with a doubt in your mind that you have not done this. Let's close our eyes. If in your heart you know that you need to say sorry to the Lord, then just raise your hand. I just want to see who you are so that I can just afterwards pray with you. If you've never come before God before and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I understand now that my whole life has been about me, about my ways. And it's never matched up to your ways. I need you, Lord. I need you to save me. I need Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand up right now so that I can pray with you. It's not between me and you. This is between you and God. For me, I can just pray that your heart is right. But if it isn't, then I can't do much about it. See, it's free will. It's choice. God doesn't make us do it. But there are consequences to the wrong choice. I know it's been a bit heavy this morning. But sometimes truth is like that. It just stops us in our tracks and it makes us think. So search your heart right now. 
as we conclude this morning. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised. I thank you, Lord, that in their heart they have declared that they need you. Lord, you know their heart. I pray and know that you have forgiven them right now in Jesus' name. That in the confession of faith in the Lord Jesus, they are washed clean. They are spotless, they are blameless, because now Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross has been substituted for their death. There is an exchange right now in the heavenlies in Jesus' name. Receive that, those of you that have your hand raised. Receive the exchange. Jesus saying to you, I have satisfied the Father's law. Now go free and sin no more. Walk in freedom, not despising the freedom, but pronouncing that through the actions of your life. Let's eat together the bread. Let's thank God for those of us who have who have already repented, who have already received forgiveness, who have already received salvation. Let us all now declare our thanks to God as we eat the bread together. And the juice which represents Jesus' blood is the very thing, the very thing that has washed us clean, that has given to us our freedom. So let's drink together and let's thank God for that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. The stewards are going to come and uh, collect your empty glasses. They're also going to collect your tithes and offerings. I'm going to ask ask Pastor James to come back up now. If there is something that has touched you in what has been shared, I want you to seek me out after the service. I'm going to stay up here as we play the last song. Thanks, Pastor James. Come up. I want you to come and let's pray together. Amen. Let's pray together. God is good. Amen. That's three weeks' time.